Great to be here in one of my favorite cities in the world, probably my favorite city in the world. So thank you, The Next Web, for hosting me. This has been a long time coming, and I'm thrilled to be here with you guys today in this celebration of technology, creativity, and innovation. So for those that don't know, my name is Jason Silva. I am the host of National Geographic's Brain Games, which is a television show that looks at our perceptions of reality, but also our misperceptions of reality. And there are a lot of misperceptions, particularly in the realm of technology and innovation. And this is kind of what I'd like to walk you through today. So this all starts for me with a passion for human creativity, an absolute passion for human imagination, our capacity to engender visions in our mind's eye and bring those visions into fruition. And this passion for creativity and for imagination has turned into a passion for technology because I believe that technology is imagination literalized. I believe that technology is the embodiment of human creativity in the world. I believe that technology is how we turn the human mind inside out. And it's how we impregnate the world with mind. The cognitive philosophers, David Chalmers and Andy Clark, in their seminal essay, The Extended Mind Thesis, these guys describe technology as a scaffolding of mind that we use to extend our thoughts, our reach, and our vision, right? And it has always been so. We are a tool-making animal. As Marshall McLuhan famously said, we build the tools, and then the tools build us. If you go back 100,000 years to the savannas of Africa, when early hominids were crawling the land, and they first picked up a stick on the ground and used that stick to reach a fruit that was on a really high tree branch, we've been using our instruments, our tools, our sticks to extend our reach, to overcome our boundaries, right? to transcend and overcome our limitations. That is what we have always done. Rick Kurzweil has a wonderful line. He says this capacity to imagine things, these virtual realities in our imagination, right, in combination with our modest-looking thumbs was sufficient to usher in this secondary force of evolution we call technology, and it will continue until the entire universe is at our fingertips. So technology has always changed the world. Technology has always disrupted the status quo. Technology has always redefined what it means to be human. But these changes, these redefinitions, they happened over many, many generations. And so the world didn't really change very much within one's own lifespan. And so these disruptions weren't as visceral as they are now. But now it's very different. Now the changes are happening in real time. It's like time-lapse photography. The pace of change itself is accelerating so rapidly that the feeling of vertigo has become very real. The world is changing before our very eyes, so it's no longer historical anecdote. It's real time, it's happening, and we are jolted. The feeling of disruption, the feeling of the rug being pulled from underneath our feet is very, very real today. And the question is why, right? If technology has always changed the world, why does it seem to be speeding up? 
Well, this is where things get exciting. Technology is speeding up because technology advances or accelerates exponentially. But human beings are linear thinkers. That's the reason we never see the future coming. The brain evolved in a world that was linear and that was local. And now we live in a world that is global and that is exponential. So we have these linear lenses in an exponential world. So then we never see the future coming. Our expectations are always wrong because our intuition about change is always wrong. So what's the difference, right? I mean, this was the metaphor that really created that cognitive leap for me. It's an example used by Ray Kurzweil. He wrote the seminal book, The Singularity is Near, when humans transcend biology. He makes lavish predictions about the future. And he's now the head of engineering at Google. So the guy's no joke. And he uses an example in his lectures, and I've used this example for years, and it works really quickly to wrap your head around the implications of exponential progress. So if you take 30 linear steps, 30 linear steps, one, two, three, four, five, you get to 30. 30 linear steps gets you to 30, and that is our intuition about change over time, right? But if you take the same amount of steps, same amount of steps, 30 steps, but they're exponential steps, Now you get to a billion in those 30 steps. So 30 linear steps gets you to 30. 30 exponential steps gets you to a billion. And technology changes exponentially. That's the reason why the smartphone in your pocket today is a million times cheaper, a million times smaller, and a thousand times more powerful than what used to be a $60 million supercomputer that was half a building in size 40 years ago. So take that in for a second. Try to appreciate that amount of progress, that astounding amount of progress, of acceleration. What used to be the size of this arena 40 years ago, that $60 million mainframe supercomputer that you needed special permission to get access to has shrunk down to a device that fits in your pocket. Million times cheaper, million times smaller, and a thousand times more powerful. That's exponential change. And exponential change doesn't end, right? It continues to compound. In the next 25 years, this will shrink down most likely to a device the size of a blood cell. It'll go in our bodies and brains, reverse engineering us from inside out. But of course, your linear brain kicks in right away, and you're like, oh, no, 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 it'll never happen. But it's already been happening. Look how far we've come. Look how fast we've gotten here. So if you guys are technologists and entrepreneurs excited about the next big thing, you want to start thinking exponentially. You want to start leveraging exponential change for good, for impact, for scale, right? Instead of being scared by the disruptions of our age, instead of being frightened or jolted by the fear that your jobs are going to go away, you need to embrace exponential change. You need to become an exponential thinker, right? So you can author the world you want into being. So again, these technologies are advancing exponentially. Our capacity to impact the world is advancing exponentially. I travel around the world, I try to explain these ideas to corporations and people to get them beyond the been there's and done that's of the adult mind, because this really requires almost a child's eye view of what might be, 
We need to stretch our imaginations to think exponentially. Once a mind is stretched by a new idea, it never returns to its original position, right? And so people often tell me, okay, fine, exponential change, pretty amazing, pretty discombobulating to really assume the implications of that change. But that's information technology, right? What about, what about the world that we dwell in, the physical world? What about the world of flesh? What about the world of concrete? That's still a slow-moving world. Well, here's what gets really sci-fi-esque. Because the world of flesh and the world of concrete are both now becoming information technologies. And so what that means is that they are now subject to the same exponential progress that we've seen in information tech, in digital tech. Software really is eating the world. Let's take biology for starters. So in the realm of information technology, biology is now referred to as biotechnology. Biotechnology means mastering the information processes of biology. It turns out that we are linguistic all the way down. It turns out we are made of code. DNA is code. Our genes are little software programs. And these software programs are increasingly becoming programmable. We are made of language and we are increasingly harnessing our creative capacity to author and transform the very language of biology. I remember this wonderful line by the physicist Freeman Dyson in an essay on the age of biology, as he called it, where he envisioned a very near future where a new generation of artists and poets would be writing genomes with the fluency that Blake and Byron wrote verses. Think about that for a second. The canvas of life itself becoming a canvas for our artistry and our creativity. And as it turns out, just as one example, gene sequencing, the speed at which we can sequence our genes, is advancing three times faster than those exponential numbers I listed before. So gene sequencing is progressing three times faster than exponential. There's a reason why Larry Page, the co-founder of Google, created Calico, California Life Extension Company, a software company for biology, right? Because that's the new hackable space. That's the new Silicon Valley obsession to hack death. They scored a, a Time Magazine cover story called Google and the End of Death. Reprogramming biology could mean the end of diseases, the end of cancer, the beginning of a world where you can download software patches for biology, the next trillion dollar hackable entrepreneurial space, the new Silicon Valley will be the biology valley. It's going to change healthcare, it's going to change what it means to be human, it's going to give us authorship over our own species. Talk about the human mind turned inside out. Our imagination has now become a force that can affect biology itself. And again, it's advancing faster than exponential. Then you have nanotechnology. Nanotechnology essentially takes the atoms, the building blocks of the physical world, and patterns and programs those atoms the same way we program and pattern ones and zeros with digital technology. So take that metaphor from digital tech, ones and zeros that create the whole world of digital, and apply that into the metaphor of programming atoms. 
That's nanotechnology, right? The seminal book on nanotechnology was called Engines of Creation. And that's literally what nanotechnology is, the engines of creation. The physical world becomes a programmable medium. As the psychedelic philosopher Terence McKenna said, the world becomes the condensation of human imagination. There is poetry in what becomes possible, what we can author when we can play and pattern atoms. The world of scarcity that we live in today disappears. Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler's book, Abundance, Why the Future Will Be Better Than You Think, talks about how, resource, how, how scarcity is contextual and technology is a resource liberating mechanism. Well, when you can pattern atoms using nanotechnology, you can turn anything into anything else. How does that change what becomes possible? So you have these exponentially advancing technologies. You have biotechnology, you have nanotechnology, and of course you have artificial intelligence which is continuing to advance exponentially, the creation of non-biological minds, non-biological intelligence, that in symbiosis with biological intelligence creates a hybrid species, really. We are the natural-born cyborgs. We always have been. And these three overlapping revolutions, biotech, nanotech, and AI, are kind of like coalescing together. And when you try to sort of make projections into the future, what does the world look like? on the back of these three exponential technologies? Well, in Silicon Valley, it's become a mythology, almost like a religion, but a religion built on data-driven extrapolations, right? We're looking into the magic mirror of the future, but we have the data to back it up. And they call this the singularity. What a mythology for our age. The singularity is a metaphor borrowed from physics to describe what happens when you go through a black hole. Namely, the laws of physics as you know them no longer apply. So they've taken that metaphor from physics and applied it to the world of technology, innovation, and creativity. As we continue to essentially turn our minds inside out and live inside of the condensation of our own imagination and be able to realize and engender our dreams in the world in real time, well, fuck, that's a singularity. So I'm a video guy, and I think that storytelling is a huge part of ushering in this future that we want. I mean, technology has always been a double-edged sword. It's an amplifier of human consciousness. It can extend, but it can also amputate. And so I think the, the consciousness of the people engendering this future is what we really need to mediate. We need people to be inspired. We need people to be optimistic. We need people to be forward-thinking with a capital F and a capital T. We need to become exponential thinkers. And I think the most effective way of doing that is to inspire people. And so that's where my video work comes in. I'd like to show you a video today. It's called The Future of Us. And it mirrors this idea that it's always been the artist who realizes that the future is the present and uses his work to prepare the grounds for it. So bring your attention to the monitors to a video called The Future of Us. If you can please play So let's talk about the future of us. What does that even mean, the future of us? It's a look at what comes next. It's a look at what might be. Because today, exponentially emerging technologies are transforming what's possible. They're helping us overcome, transcend, even biological limitations. The very rules of what it is to be human are up for grabs. We're rewriting the software of life with biotechnology. We're turning matter into a programmable medium with nanotechnology. 
We're creating sentient minds with artificial intelligence that are not bound by the limitations of biology. These three overlapping revolutions, GNR, genetics, nanotechnology, and robotics, together will be leveraged to lead us towards a black hole-like, impossible to fathom singularity. It's like staring into the sun, a moment of a rousing symphonic climax when all of mind leverages the network together, transcends its biological origins, and we become something more. People worry about the AIs and the them. Well, as Kurzweil says, that's going to be us. The future of us is ours to dream up. So, you can so let's Thanks, talk guys. about. <laughs> so I started doing these videos because I wanted to change the way that people think about tech and innovation. And one of the key Changes in my own thinking about this came after reading Kevin Kelly's book, What Technology Wants. You probably saw Kevin speak yesterday. What a marvelous technology, technology philosopher he is. And in that book, he put out this idea that technology is, is, is like our second skin. He referred to technology as the seventh kingdom of life. He called it actually the technium. And he said that the technium is subject to the same pulls and evolutionary forces as biological evolution. So essentially, you know, people that fear that technology is being somehow unnatural or people who worry that technology is somehow is us like tinkering with the natural order need to realize that technology emerged from the natural order because we are the natural order. This is what Kevin Kelly refers to as exotropy, right? It's the opposite of entropy. Life moves towards greater complexity and organization and from life is born this secondary skin and it moves towards greater complexity and organization, creating more possibility in the world and doing so exponentially. And what's fascinating for those that still think this is unnatural is that the more our human-made systems become complex and sublime and self-organizing, the more they're starting to mirror patterns found in natural systems. And so what we start to see, it feels like an episode of the Twilight Zone. It's a bit psychedelic, in fact, because it's like, holy shit. The more sublime the stuff we engender, the more it mirrors the natural world, creating a kind of ontological awakening when we come to realize the forceful reckoning with what's actually going on is we may not even be in control, right? It comes through us, but not from us. And though it is with us, it belongs not to us. This is just a universe where the conditions are right for this exotropic force that moves towards more creativity and more organization may be possible. And this next video looks exactly at that. It's called To Understand is to Perceive Patterns. Please show the next video. You know, there's a mind-expanding idea that smashes the false duality between nature and technology. The realization that nature and technology are one and the same, a continuum, smack in the middle between the born and the made, is summed up in the lines, to understand is to perceive patterns. That moment when the dots connect, you see the gestalt, long view, and you see the big picture. This notion of patterns, for example, Paul Stamets has written about the mycelial archetype and how the information sharing systems that comprise the internet, a man-made system, mirror the neurons in our brain, a natural system, which in turn mirror computer models of dark matter in the universe. They all share the exact same intermingled filamental structure. It's unbelievable. Or for example, the fact that forager ants, when they hunt for food, their patterns of hunting mirror the TCP IP protocols that govern information flow of traffic on the internet. Same pattern. 
Institute. Jeffrey West from the Santa Fe Institute tells us that cities are actually like organisms. They have metabolic rates and that alleys are like capillaries. Fly an airplane, look at a city from the sky. It looks like a motherboard, it looks like a microchip. Information arranged, evolution, life, sentience, mind. To understand is to perceive these patterns. There is no duality between nature and technology. It is all one and the same. Thanks guys. And so just to wrap up very quickly, there was a campaign put out there by Singularity University, which I think answers the question, what do we do with this power? Right? We are as gods and might as well get good at it. What do we do when we have the power of gods to author reality, to change the world with our creativity and our innovation? And the idea behind the campaign was to redefine the term billionaire. Right? Because in the world of startup culture, everybody wants to create the next company and become the next billionaire. And that's cool, right? Aim high for sure. But what if, meant, um, what if being a billionaire in the age of exponential technologies was not just making a billion dollars, but what if being a billionaire meant positively touching a billion people? If you really want to aim high and you know what to do with all of this disruption is try to positively touch a billion brains. Try to positively reach a billion minds. Try to make the world a little better by aiming to redefine the term billionaire. So I'll leave you with that. I hope you guys all go out there and change the world. Thank you so much for listening. I love you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When you live in a world of exponential technological advancement, what this literally means is that we have new construction kits for our reality, new tools with which to probe at the adjacent possible. So consider the implications, right? As Marshall McLuhan used to say, first we build the tools, and then the tools build us. We are designed by what we have designed. There are these feedback loops of mind, tool, and world that radically redefine our boundaries, that radically transform what it means to be human. To be human today is to crisscross the skies. To be human today is to create techno-social wormholes, mind-to-mind communication that overcomes the limits of time, the limits of time and distance. And so what do we do? Well, we need to radically reach out to one another in ways that we haven't before. There's a great line that says empathy rarely extends beyond our line of sight. In other words, if it's out of sight, it is out of mind. But if anything, these wireless communication technologies are radically extending our line of sight. They're providing new ontological maps of the real. They're giving us the astronaut overview effect. We are seeing the big picture. We are seeing that we are the captains of spaceship Earth. And what shall we do? We need to extend our hands to one another. We've never had such tools to overcome all of the limitations of our humanity. We have the power, we have the will, we have the capacity, the creative capacity to overcome our limits. And so today, billions of us linking to one another, creating a global node, a global brain. What is the new definition of billionaire? The new definition of billionaire is he who will positively affect the lives of a billion people. He or she who will reach out and say, I will positively affect the lives of a billion people. This should be our goal. This is our responsibility. Here's our chance.